0: Hi and welcome to Found. I'm your host, Dare Etherington. I'm here with the also host, my host,
1: Jordan Crook. Just Jordan Crook.
0: That's how we do it simple. here at Found, the podcast from TechCrunch, where we tell you the stories behind the startups. And this is our one year anniversary, effectively. So. Wow. We wanted to do something unusual and bring you something cool and different and new. The like show itself is still cool and different and new, probably, especially yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. just joining us. Totally. Yeah.
1: It's a super fun show. But This is an extra fun one, and that's why we had to pare back all the fun from the intro. So it's, that's the, why it's we ramping had to up.
0: No fun from Jordan in the intro. No fun
1: for me in (laughs) the intro. We'll keep it calm because there's so much fun later on we don't wanna overload.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then I think you'll probably get a bonus a little bit of bonus fun from Jordan in the at the end of the episode (laughs) if you wanna stick around.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. But we brought back some founders, some of our favorite founders from past episodes. And we got them all to talk with us. Yes, we're still in there, but mostly with each other, which was very interesting. Super fun for me to hear these founders talk to each other because we normally just talk to them from our lame non-founder perspective, I suppose. And then this time they all talked from their cool, mutual founder or respect perspective and com- kind of compared and contrasted experiences. Yeah. And it was good. It was a great time.
1: They didn't have to use kid gloves. No,
0: Exactly. They didn't have to talk down to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the guests that we brought back were Jelani Memory from a kid's company, about Brie Code from True Love, Aditi Shikar from Zeta, and Earl Call from Smart Tire Company. So basically, I mean, among our very first episodes,
1: yeah, they were early on for sure. Earl and Bree were super early on, and then- super early. Zeta and A Kid's Company about came a little bit later, but all ones that we continue to reference looking back and talk about a lot and ones that moved us and made us think in different ways. And you should definitely go listen to their episodes.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You should. And it's kind of like, you know, you might want to do that first. I don't want to tell you how to live your life, listener, but it might be behoove you to go listen to those episodes first if you're just joining us and then come Don't back send here them
1: away from this
0: but listen but listen just stay you're here like just stay here and listen
1: <laughs> i'm encouraging would say not to do this
0: i'm just encouraging the proper it's like if you were going to watch star wars from scratch and you would say like well what's the what's the viewing order right it's the same time we've, done,
1: type of we've had this conversation actually
0: so if you i mean it, again it's your choice, you want. but if you yeah. want to, you can go listen to their episodes. Again, that's Jelani, Bree, Aditi, and Earl. And then come back here and hear their conversation altogether. Or listen to their conversation altogether and then go and hear their perspective then and compare and contrast. It was kind of fun to hear how much has changed. I mean, sometimes not so fun, right? Sometimes very sad things have happened to people
1: yeah.
0: in the intervening time. But definitely like puts it into perspective, like the founder journey and takes away that sort of perception that, that it's a moment in time and then it's kind of fixed, right? Everybody talks all the time about how it's a learning experience and you change, but this really like shows you in and practice it how that puts happens.
1: it in like a perspective that is so clear. The growth from these four people in the short time since we talked to them last. I mean, it couldn't have been more than a year. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. And yeah. there have been a lot of lessons learned and a lot of kind of perspectives changed. It just goes to show how fast things move when you're a founder and if you're not like paying attention if you don't stop and look around every once in a while you know ferris bueller style
0: that's right i, I don't you remember what the movie. end of that is but life will pass you, you might by just or miss something it. yeah it's yeah. you might
1: just miss it that's anyway, right maybe we should just kick it off with these dudes i think and we
0: ladies. should get them in here yeah and i think i look forward to doing this again so maybe this will be an ongoing sort of time capsule experience for folks All right. Great to have everybody here. I mentioned this in the pre call, but we haven't tried this before. So it is, we don't know what's going to happen. It could, it's going to be great regardless, but it could be a chaotic kind of great.
1: It's like when you mix all of your favorite ingredients. It's like, I love pizza and I love ice cream. Like, yeah. we love all of Just you. Just turn but it what into a smoothie. We throw you all together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything could happen.
0: So to start off, can you all introduce yourselves so the listener can tell who's who?
2: Hi, I'm Aditi, and I'm the founder and CEO of Zeta.
3: Okay,
0: name is Earl Cole, and
3: my company is the Smart Tire Company.
4: Hi, I'm Bree, and I'm the founder and CEO of True Love.
5: Jalani Memory, and I'm the founder of A Kids Co.
0: I think what's very interesting about this group is, is like nobody does anything even close to what anybody else does, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's definitely some crossover, but. I think one place we can all probably start is just in fundraising and investors. It's kind of like the whole way this whole thing works. Are there any updates there? Does anybody have any exciting things to share? Maybe new rounds raised? Or is there any, I know Audity you mentioned, maybe you want to name and shame? Yeah,
1: Any any
2: shade to throw as well?
0: Like we're
2: open to that. I'm happy to share. Yeah, we raised a seed round in July of 2021 for about $3 million. So our fundraising process was actually pretty wild this time because my dad actually passed away from COVID very suddenly smack in the middle of my fundraising process. It was one of the most insane experiences of my life. And I've been trying to talk about it more openly just so other founders who go through grief and go through loss and bluntly go through that stress and pressure have just another point of view and another experience to hear about and share.
0: Wow. Yeah. Because it's so, it's so all encompassing
2: and you can't hand it over to anyone else it was a it was a tough moment the sequence of events where we had an acquisition offer the fundraising process and my dad (sighs) passing away all at once i was just like i have no idea what's happening but it's like that out-of-body experience where you're just watching your life from afar and going oh my god what the heck just happened One of my biggest lessons on fundraising is like time it, you know, really create that feeling, drive the urgency, do all of that. And we did it. And literally in the last half of the fundraising process, this suddenly happened. So what I chose to do, which may or may not have been the right thing, honestly, upon further reflection, I took three days off and I just didn't talk to anybody. And I said to the team, like, don't talk to me. I'm just useless. I went to the beach. I sat in Big Sur on the beach for three days, hung out with my dad, and then sort of picked myself up and said, okay, I'm going to close this out. And I'm going to figure out how to handle the rest of this throughout the year. So it really helped me to create a little bit of that space to grieve without necessarily feeling like everything around me was falling apart. And my team was just incredible. Everybody, every single person stepped in in ways that I didn't even imagine. So that worked, but I'm still grieving, and it was very sudden. So I think it helped in some ways that it was almost like a something hits you, you stop, you respond to it, you take a break, and then you come back
4: at it.
5: Well, I'd love to say, you know, Oddity, thanks for sharing. Like, wow, what uh, a harrowing experience to go through. And and I think you're right to share it as a founder because. We're kind of supposed to be bulletproof and, yeah. and run through brick walls. And the reality is, is like this is really hard and not yeah. hard in the cool, like hustle porn way, but like hard and like maybe I don't want to do this anymore, kind of hard, you know. I'm going through my own fundraising experience right now. And feel like I'm a good counterpoint to your experience in a lot of ways where I try and do the least amount as possible for fundraising. I'm a builder and I love building and making. And so Investors will like email me multiple times to go like, Hey, can you send me the deck? And I'm like, Oh yeah, okay. Like I it's next week cool. Like I just I it's almost like I can't be bothered to because building the company is so damn important. Now that being said, like you know, you raise capital for a reason, and so you know, my last board meeting, I said, "Hey, look, I I promise I will spend more time actually investing in this fundraise so that we can actually wrap it up." And look, fundraising is fundraising; like it's not super fun, and there's yeses and there's nos, and there's people who just drag it out. But I don't know. Kudos to you for just sticking it out, balancing it all, and then taking the time to really, truly grieve afterwards.
2: Yeah. And honestly, something that really helped me was an incredible number of founders reached out. I don't know. There's something so special about talking to other founders. Like there's just like an immediate camaraderie and like an immediate amount of trust, it's like, oh my God, I know where you are. I feel you. I've been there. How can I help? And it's not the bullshit, how can I help, right? That how yeah. can I help email from <laughs> your investors, but like truly, truly, how can I help? So I'm actually really curious, how's that worked out for you taking like a more casual approach?
5: In a really interesting way, it works out pretty awesome and, and on all fronts, uh, although I'll give you a couple of downsides, but one of the ways it works awesome is it kind of seems like I don't need their money. Which investors love, by the way, they love feeling like, oh my god, like he might not take my check. I should really get a hold of this guy. So they like that. The second is, is it lets me actually focus on the thing that I have fun with and I enjoy. So I I get to keep building in a lot of ways. Look, the downside is it just slows the process down, right? But in some ways, I kind of go like all the same yeses. We're going to be the same yeses and same nos. We're going to be same nos based on the numbers. Like I think companies live or die by their numbers. Create all the FOMO you want to. Once they start kicking the tires, they're going to look at your numbers and go, this is a fit or it's not a fit, right? Based on the numbers that you have. So it's working out. I'm enjoying myself, you know? Go talk to my board and, and ask them how how they feel about it.
0: <laughs> I just wanted to add, like, Earl, you guys had the WeFunder campaign and you closed the we like 1.3 million or something, right? Yep. Is that yeah. right?
3: You know, my, uh, my approach is very different. I choose not to talk to any VCs at all. Mm. And that does make them line up even more. So <laughs> there is that fear of missing out. But I wanted to democratize the whole system. I, you know, the way I grew up, you know, I didn't know anything about investing in a company. I didn't even know about anybody starting a company or being a founder or stocks or anything like that. And I learned that kind of later in life. And so when I learned about these new systems, these new platforms like WeFunder and, you know, I like that approach. I like people, just average Joes, just being able to put in a hundred bucks, 200 bucks to put in their money, as opposed to like, you know, yeah, eventually, you know, the 10 million, 20 million you get from a VC is great, but I don't want to start it off like that. You know, I feel like every person should have this opportunity to just get in on the ground floor of a company like this. And especially something as simple as tires. I mean, it's not a sexy product. But you know what? It is on everything when you think about it. Tires are on everything. Like from cars to planes to baby strollers. You know, everything has some kind of tire. And so it's it's a very relatable product. So I wanted to have it relate to just the everyday person. So that's why I chose to go that route. We're still doing the crowdfunding thing. You know, I, I love, 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 love making VCs just wait. <laughs> they'll, they'll email me and I'll get back to them two weeks later, you know, (laughs) and then we'll say, we're not interested. You know, we don't want to, like, literally, I like, just treat them terrible. And, and, and is that good? I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You know, at some point, I'm I'm, I'm going to need their money. But...
1: And they're going to listen to this during due <laughs> yeah, diligence, gonna, man. You know
2: like, saying? they're like bookmarked Earl. <laughs>
3: yeah, okay. You know, eventually we're going to have to do a, a real fundraise. I think there's a $5 million limit on uh, crowdfunding per year. So, hey, but if I can raise $5 million a year till we're profitable... Might not ever need VC money. I mean, the goal would be great to not ever need VC money, where I'm not controlled by anybody. Or I don't know. Every, every, every approach is different. I might say something different next month. You know, when someone says like, "Hey, Elon Musk wants to wait Elon Musk wants to what? He wants to, what he he wants to buy us? He needs
0: to buy another. Company. We're not going He's that route. It. What we're
1: know, gonna know. do right now is we're gonna pivot because Bree. Well, it's a very different perspective cuz Bree was had an investor that essentially like was very influential in shaping perspective right so that's a different vibe than like I would like to avoid them forever
4: Yeah I would I guess I would I can't remember what I said last time so <laughs> can? It might repeat something. Okay. Yeah um,
1: no, we were like hypnotized so <laughs> no.
4: Yeah, we've taken a different approach. When I started, I didn't know anything about business or anything about how to incorporate a company or build a studio, but I knew what I wanted to do. And I called about a hundred other studio heads that I'd met in the video game industry. What I do is not video games, but it's uh, tangential. And I asked each of them, you know, how did you get a studio? How did you get started? And almost every single one of them told me, don't talk to VCs. VCs are evil. Stay away from that. What you want to do is get a publisher and here's how it works. with a publisher and then described the most horrendous situations I could imagine and levels of stress that I knew I could never tolerate. So I thought, oh, what's this VC thing? That's how I work. And so then I looked into it and I thought this actually fits with what I want to do. But also as I started to talk to VCs, I noticed that Most of them didn't understand what I was doing, and that they, although it's supposed to be the thing for scaling and innovation, at least in the video game industry, most VCs have investment theses and they're looking for companies that fit their thesis. And if you're doing something that is so radically strange that no one's thought anything about anything like it, you don't fit. So, my first investor was someone who I was bothering a lot because I wanted to know him because he'd run a studio the closest to what mine was and so I just kept messaging him and saying, you know, I need help, like I don't know what I'm doing. And then I met him for lunch. I didn't know he was investing, and then I told him more while we were at lunch and his eyes got really wide. And he started asking me questions and I realized he got it. And he's the first person I spoke to that got it. So, he had just joined it or started an accelerator with some other people and so I joined. They didn't have a spot for me, but I was very pushy and they made an additional spot. And then that got me to launch of an experimental product that proved part of what I saw, of the, the possibility for a new model for technology completely. And then from there, I was, again, really choosy and pushy. So I just I met, you know, many, many VCs like you do during fundraising. And I just decided to be like super honest and authentic and get to a know as quickly as possible with people that thought I was too weird and you know that what I'm building doesn't fit in what they're looking for at all. And then I found one who said he'd been looking for a company like ours for three years. And he's been incredibly influential in our direction and my understanding of my role and our technology and where we're going. And then he introduced me to some more people. And from there, I've just been really careful about who I bring in. Only people who understand what we're doing and want the same things. Because we're not building for profit. We're building for human benefit, but somehow using VC and capitalism to move in that direction. And so it's kind of these careful alliances and careful like double bottom line type approaches. And But I will only make a deal with someone if they're going to bring insight to the table and help me figure out what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I think... I mean, probably based on my recollection of our conversation, Jelani, you can relate to a lot of that.
5: Yeah. Look, we had a decade and so where tons of investments got made in a bunch of companies and a bunch of founders. And look at the pickle we're in, right? Like with every major tech company. I don't think that's a mistake. It's, I don't know if you want to call it capitalism out of control or whatever, but The incentives were aligned. They made a bunch of money and screwed a bunch of stuff up. And so I I think a a new generation of founders came along and sort of said, well, we don't actually want to destroy the earth because we like living here and we like being a part of a functioning society, you know? And so is it okay if you invest in us? We'll make you probably some money, but we won't burn the whole thing down in the process. And like, that's good, right? Like we should all be for that. But I feel like there was a generation that really like could care less, which it feels bonkers to me. But, you know, looking at all the businesses collectively here between all of us, like we're all trying to do something more than just like build the next Facebook or build the next Snap we're trying to do some genuine good in our own unique spaces. And that's, I don't know, that feels investable. Right.
1: So what's interesting though, about that is like every single one of you has a double bottom line, right. In some way where you're like benefiting humankind as well as able to generate revenue or like build a successful business. And so the goal has to be like scale because at scale you'd have the greatest impact. But it's also the scale that seems to have fucked all of those major tech companies as well, right? And so like, I think the question I ask to all of you is like how frequently and how deeply are you thinking about safeguarding future you?
2: I would actually argue like what Earl was talking about earlier is kind of compelling, right? Like if you can find a way to, maybe not your users but like the general public to involve them in the investment of your own company, you can have a secondary, Group of stakeholders to be accountable to, so then it's not just about the bottom line, but it is in fact about serving that group of stakeholders, delivering on the product promises you made, and actually following through. You know, I think that's a compelling tactic. I agree with you, Jordan. I also, I'm like the Google founders wanted to do no evil. Some would argue Google's doing a ton of evil. You know, Which, wherever whichever side you sit on that debate, I think it is a really valid question. Like, how do you? We're all early stage founders, so it's easier to hold true to our visions and our missions because we don't have as much pressure on us than some of the folks, you know, much later from us. So I think there's a couple of things like at one, I'm super excited about different types of corporate entity structures. Like I think the B Corp is super interesting and I'd love to explore that angle a little bit more. Uh, I think getting our customers involved as our shareholders is another really interesting thing. We're seeing this a lot in consumer fintech. Robinhood tried it. We'll set that aside. You know, we are seeing even acorns try it as they were thinking about raising their stack. So I think there's a ton of potential to leverage them as shareholders and, and start to navigate that. And then the other thing is I think you got to set some really clear benchmarks. Like you got to have impact as part of your metrics across the board. Like one of the mm-hmm. things that we just did is we launched a diversity manifesto and we were like, we don't want to serve just white families. We want to serve the average American family. And that is everything from our cap table to our employee base to our users. And we hold ourselves accountable to that every quarter. It's a, it's a start. It's not perfect by any means. Please don't DM me about why that's a dumb idea, but it's us starting to, you know, try to put some guardrails there.
5: Yeah. I absolutely love that. And sharing so many of those same values I just don't think these conversations were being had seven years ago, just not at all.
0: They right. used to say, like, we want to change the world, and then they would take for granted that that was for the better.
5: Yeah, what's the, the Steve Jobs quote, right? He wants to make a dent in the universe. Like, no. That doesn't like, sound good. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't mess up our new car, right? Don't put a dent in anything. Like, But I think, again, we're out of that stage where, where we're lionizing these folks, and we're sort of going, actually maybe maybe I, they're not my heroes anymore. Maybe I should have different heroes and look up different folks. And, you know, go back to an earlier part of what we were discussing. I think scale is a big problem for all of us. If we all have the privilege of reaching scale, all of those bad parts of our company will come out, right? And meaning like the ways that we cut corners and the ways that we sort of didn't depreciate certain parts of our business or focus on certain parts of our business. And I think what's required, and there's a couple of businesses that I think do this, is our our principles at scale, right? Actually having principles and sticking to them. You see that with a company like Patagonia. I actually think you see that with a company like Airbnb, where you go, they're actually sticking by their principles and putting their money where their mouth is in some pretty big ways. And then you see that go out the door with the Meta's or the Amazons or the Googles of the world a lot of times where they go, well, actually, we just like to make all the monies. Uh, And so I I think this next tranche of founders, you know, us included, are hoping and wanting and trying to do something different. And the true test will be when we reach scale, right? When a handful of us become those mega unicorns, if indeed those exist 10 years from now, what kind of principles will we
3: bring at scale? And I don't know why WeWork just came to mind (laughs) Um, (laughs) on how, you know, they were and this is what's interesting how people can even mask this whole having great principles and consciousness. You know, I think their thing was elevate the world's consciousness, you know, and they sold that. And you can say like, okay, that them scaling so fast and getting all the money changed who they were and the principles of the company. Or was it already their agenda from the start? You know, to everyone's point with that, you know, I I think there definitely is some type of shift going on to where people are starting to care again. But does that mean the VCs are going to line up for that? Because do they care? I mean, we need them to care because they control the most most of the money because we can, you know, be the most conscious founder out there and have a great idea. But for them, it's like, I don't care about changing the world. I care about owning the world. And that's how a lot of them think. And I just want to know if this shift is happening with founders, will it happen within the VC space so these dreams can come true together?
4: I think it's important to zoom out and look at natural cycle. And of course, when we first invented the Internet and first invented tech companies, the first of them were childish or adolescent and that we didn't really know how to apply systems thinking to we you know people who grew up without the internet how much chance do they have to learn systems thinking and so not realizing the impacts of their actions and getting swept up in the energy of it like that's like you know getting swept up in any music scene when you're a teenager and what we have now is to look at that and see okay where does that go next like what is the a little bit more adult version of what they're doing. And so that's how we kind of look at everything. We, We didn't go back to the drawing board, but we looked at like, okay, what exists? What are best practices across the tech industry now? And what can we take? And what can we unfold into the next iteration of that? Like that's that adolescent version. And what's the adult version of that? So speaking about metrics, we call ours benefit metrics. And we don't measure any traditional metrics. We've looked at each one and instead thought of like, What's the one that's beneficial for humans that we can use instead? So for engagement, we don't measure engagement, but we measure what state of mind our technology brings people into. And for retention, we don't look at retention, but we look at like, what psychological development is happening, people using our technology. And then we look at collaborative flow that people are achieving collaboration together or not. And are they actually achieving the thing they wanted to achieve together collaborative or collective mission, we call that. And those are the metrics we optimize for. And those are the metrics that we report to our board and to our investors. So far, that's worked for us. And that's what our investors want. They see that the you know, the current way of doing things is not going to work. And it's not going to work for many reasons for the way it's affecting people psychologically, the way it's affecting our planet. And so at least some of our investors believe that just like how tech companies kind of took over the stock market around 2000-ish, companies that are focusing on what is actually good for people in a real way, like not not some extra piece of the company, but products that are actually really beneficial for people are gonna be the ones that are gonna to rise to the top and be the ones people use. And if there is a stock market, we'll be the yeah. ones that will be there.
0: That makes tons of sense. And I think, but one of the things I was thinking about when we were talking about the prior question about like impact at scale and how it can change was with you specifically and what your company is doing. Like, it feels like it has the greatest potential to become manipulative, right? In a way that is perhaps can be turned to evil intent or ill. Do you think about that at all ever? Or whether, you know, the manipulation can be turned to ill or anything like that?
4: I think that it it has to be something that we think about every day. And in every decision that we're making, are we building those guardrails? But are we also building it right into what we're building in a way that it cannot be easily lifted and changed so you know our model for technology we're building it it invites states of mind that are humanistic and pro-social but mostly it's about, Not even inviting certain states of mind, that's a mischaracterization. It's about connecting people with their own values and their own agency by helping them not go into reactive or divisive states of mind, but staying true to what they actually feel and believe and having that moment of pause where you can make choice and choose your action. From who you actually are. And so the reason that I felt okay to begin developing this technology is I spent a summer reading every book I could find about the science of meditation or magic or altruism, anything I could find related to what I wanted to do with technology. And I've read, I can't remember exactly where I read, that about 10% of people tend to be altruistic and about 10% of people tend to be self interested, and everyone else in the middle. I might be getting those exact percentages wrong but the idea is there's a cohort on either end that are one or the other and everyone else in the middle the vast majority of people prefer to be altruistic when they believe that this when they perceive that the system is fair and so the more we can make systems fair and the more we can help people connect to their own values the I believe the outcome will be positive Can I push on that a
2: little one thing that I worry about is us as a human race doesn't always make the best choices. And, you know, we continue to perpetuate things that we know are no good for us, you know? And speaking of Elon, does it make sense for, like, it wasn't until he came along and really sort of upgraded the brand around electric cars that they really took off and that people really started to give a shit? I don't know if we're allowed to curse, but part of me wonders if left to our own devices as human beings, we always make the better, more impactful choice. And sometimes the current state of consumer tech makes me think not. I'm being a little pessimistic today. No, no. Forgive me.
0: Hey, uh, no, you're speaking okay. me in Jordan's language. That's for sure. We are. Yeah, this
1: is how we tend to be whatever the self-interested cohort is or the jaded cohort <laughs> is or whatever. I think that Brie makes a good caveat there, though, which is like, when we perceive systems are fair. Mm. Like when I'm at the airport, we're all toast. (laughs) Because nothing's fair about the airport. (laughs) Well, that was an intense conversation about power corrupting, which feels like a lesson that we're all learning together, especially this next generation of founders, which is exciting. But let's just talk broadly. What is kind of the biggest lesson that you've all learned since the last time that we talked,
5: you know, I, I feel uniquely cut out for this founder thing. Cause I, I just don't know if I'm employable any other way, to be <laughs> honest. And so I, I, I take that for granted genuinely. And I love what I do, but we had. incredible year in 2020 and to be frank like 2021 just kicked our ass we grew the team we revenue you know burn got too high revenue went down some products didn't click or work a lot of big swings that we took just were just massive whiffs you know that was not how i wanted the year to go Mm -hmm. but i was able to reflect on it and go okay what did I do wrong? Was this my fault? And what can I change and do better this year, right? And and luckily we had enough capital in the bank to make those decisions and, and pivot and try different things. And And I think one of the things that I really embraced coming into this year was that some of my superpowers are massive weaknesses. And so I have a massive product superpower. I just love working on product. I can iterate. I can move really fast. I can build lots of things that I think genuinely will connect with customers. The problem is is I can neglect marketing. I can neglect data. I can neglect, you know, like team development. I can neglect a bunch of stuff in service of like, but isn't this cool? Like, isn't this cool, this thing we built, right? And so I had to sort of go, okay, well, that thing needs to sort of be proportioned based on these other tasks. I won't say I was pulled aside because I I pulled a board member aside and I said, "How do I be better at this?" And she just said, "Be the CEO. Like you're the only one that's a CEO. Do the CEO's job first and if you get to the other stuff great, but She's like, Jelani, you're spending a lot of time working on stuff that's not the CEO's job. And she goes, you're great at it. You're world-class at it. It's just not your job. And there was a bit of an identity crisis for me to go, it's kind of why I made this job was so that I get to do this stuff. But I realize we're we're at a scale and we're moving at a pace where my team, my company needs things from me that, in some ways, I never signed up to give it. But I am totally responsible to provide for it. And so I had to grow up. You know, to Bree's point, I moved out of the adolescent phase and and maybe moved out into a little more of a grown up phase as a founder. I was like, what if I was like a good manager? What if I like empowered people? to do good work. And what if I like got out of their way and unblocked them on tasks and they just like executed and I did my job. It was like this revelation to me and it seems to be going kind of okay, kind of well, you know, it's hard for our designers to keep me out of Figma. So they just don't (laughs) invite me to certain boards. Um, You know, you'd have to fight to keep me out of an Excel spreadsheet, but I feel like I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm getting better for the simple fact that it's existential, right? Like if I don't do this, well, I'll kill the company in the process. And I don't want to kill my baby. I love my baby. I love this mm. company. Right. And so I think that's a big sort of reflect back from state of mind. Like if you go listen to the last episode, I was probably like, Oh, we're going to do all the things. Now I'm like, we're going to do some of the things <laughs> get around to it. Uh
2: a couple of learnings for me. One, I connect so much with what you're saying, Shalani. I was often an early employee before I became a founder. And so I was like, I've almost founded a company, which is a bullshit truth you tell yourself. <laughs> and I, I was like, how, you know, how hard can it be? And I started building and I was like, oh, it's just a group of people like working on something we love, like, let's go. And then very quickly, I started to realize people are treating me differently. And I was like, what's going on? And my co-founder finally was like, "Anity, you're the fucking CEO. They're just a little nervous around you or they're scared to tell you that that's a stupid freaking idea. And there's been like this life. I mean, there's several year journey of really understanding that as a CEO, your job and the way people respond to you and react to you really changes, especially as your company starts to grow. And you have to change with it. Whereas I kept being like, Word transparent culture. Tell me I'm I'm crazy, but no one's actually going to do that, you know, or very few people will truly will do that. And so that's been one big lesson for me is learning how to really own that role and be it, and not be annoyed <laughs> the fact that I'm CEO some days and people won't just be direct with me and tell me what's going wrong or what's going right or, or whatnot. The other thing I'd say is. I think I've learned to think one of the best parts about being a founder is you really think about patterns, about what Brie was talking about earlier, systems change. Like, You really start to zoom out. And one of my favorite things is we spend so much time building, building, building. We're in the, in the minutiae, as you said, of doing this work. But when you get to step back, one of my favorite parts about in fundraising is that you get to talk to all these investors who all they do is pattern spot and they're constantly pattern spotting and spending time with them and thinking about the company and the business i actually just got off a call with the investors that who i've known for several years and the two of us were talking about our long-term product roadmap and it's just a fun conversation so learning to create space for that has been tremendous for our company direction and, and value. Whereas earlier I was sort of like the product manager in the dark, going, I think this is kind of interesting. I think that's kind of interesting. And now step back and I'm like, no, that's a terrible path for us right. to go down because it doesn't make sense at a systems level. So I think those two things have been really tremendous for me and then the last thing I'll throw out is one of the things I really don't love about entrepreneurs and like the latest breed is there feel to be a lot of uh, career entrepreneurs they're like let me start a company raise a little money exit mm-hmm. then I'll go start another company raise another mo- money exit and I'm like I don't want to do that and I realized that this last year like I you know when we got these acquisition offers I was like shit I can make a shit ton of money here and yeah. like leave and and be done with it but I really love what we're building and I want to build this shit for life. Like that's dramatic, but I really want to build this company. I really want to see this impact in life. And and I think that was a really clear realization for me this year was I don't want to sell the company uh, if I don't have to, Hmm. if I can keep building this and if I can keep proving out this thesis, I really want to do that.
0: That's great. That sounds like a great clarifying moment. Cause yeah, there's tons of people who just do that end up in that, puddle jumping kind of mentality for the rest of their careers
2: i call it i banking entrepreneurs which is so unfair
1: daryl and i talk about it too like a founder for the sake of being a founder yeah yeah yeah, yeah, that kind of thing and you can like smell it a mile away
4: i can't imagine anything more boring than figuring out a formula and then just doing that same thing over and over again
0: it does sound it sounds hellish actually when put that way it's like there
4: you know. are people that like it i guess
1: or whatever like yeah. the result of it
0: maybe but well, based on our last conversation
3: that I had.
1: We didn't focus almost at all on Survivor. <laughs> so. No, not at all.
3: Well, I've been surviving working with NASA. So
4: if you <laughs> We remember, did talk about that. Yes.
3: <laughs> uh, the difficulties and challenges. It sounds cool. Yes, it's cool. But NASA is so slow with everything. Because they're, you know... They're gigantic. You know, when you're trying to grow a company and you're a founder and, you know, you want to be nimble and quick because that's where you have to be when you're a startup. But then you have to report to NASA and it's like, hey, I need this answer by tomorrow. They're like, all right, we'll get back to you in six weeks. Yes. That happened all the time. So this past year, I was learning how to better work with them, I would say, um, they have their own needs and what they require, and you know they could care less. You know how big our company gets or how fast it grows, because they're doing stuff like sending robots to Mars and mm-hmm. sending the first woman to the moon uh, soon. So they got important things to do than this little bitty tiny tire company that they like, but. I'm starting to understand like, okay, I see where we fit in the NASA universe. We're like way at the bottom. But the more cool stuff we started to do, like we started, I started to report more to them about our progress because before I wasn't doing that as much. And they started to open up the floodgates a little bit more and sharing and then getting back to us sooner. And they're like, oh, then they started writing about us, which is rare because, you know, because NASA has this thing to where they are not supposed to favor any company. So they're very generic about everything can't use our logo for this you can't do that like but then they started writing about us cuz they started actually being proud of the work that we're doing and their motto is for all mankind, or for all humankind, sorry, it's for all humankind. So they truly believe that. And, you know, and that's our focus with our company. You know, even though it's tires, but, you know, they're more eco-friendly, you know, tires are on everything. We're trying to, you know, just do something good for the world. And we just I just started sharing more information with them. And, it, and they started to share it back and actually started to help us a bit more. So I guess I did learn that, finding that happy medium on how to work with this gigantic organization. So, yeah, so that's where I am now. I'm actually here at our lab here in ohio because i live in los angeles but i had to fly out here every month because the nasa facility we work with is out here and i actually have a nasa employee here at the lab today so i i don't want to talk too loud
0: Uh, <laughs> we just got to a good place. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say
1: too, like your NASA is slow enough that they don't listen to your podcast. Yeah, you yeah you know, they're so slow.
3: They they are they are very slow. And you know, I'm not a first time founder, so this is like my third company I've founded. And no, I did not exit or sell anything. But you know, they're all learnings. You know, they call them failures, but they're all just learnings. Like you know, and I think we talked about this to the last po- the last podcast. You know. All of the different companies that I've founded from different ideas that I might have had and working with people, you know. You learn something to bring to the next company. From this, you learn to bring to the next. I kept doing that till I got to the point where I could work with somebody like a NASA. And I have this knowledge base of the failures and the learnings from my other companies to where, you know, I don't even care what title I have. Cause, you know, when you're the CEO, you're the janitor, you're the, you're, you know, the botanist, you're, you're whatever, you know, your company needs. So I, I had to do everything and your current founders now are probably a lot bigger than us. Uh, you have teams and you know seed rounds. We have not gotten to that point yet. So we have a team of four right now. But you know what? It's a matchable four. It's like an Avenger four, though. So it's a bit <laughs> different. I like, guess literally like we hired this guy that's like he had 43 years of good gear. And the guy like invented like these crazy things that, you know, that you see every day, but he believed in our vision and decided to work with us. And so it was literally like hiring Captain America. No, he's not even powerful enough. It's like, (laughs) it's like hiring Dr. Strange, Maybe the, the Silver Surfer for all you. Uh, oh, okay. Comments. There yeah. you go. It's like, it, like cosmic the, the powers. Co- yeah, there you go. So, you know, <laughs> like he's that good. It's like, he's like a, a tire wizard. So it's like we have like the tire wizard. It works for our company. So we, and we feel good about that. And that's how, that, these are the things I'm learning. That's, I'm not going all over the place because I'm thinking about, they're actually right there in the next room. We just, ah, don't be the NASA by accident. Yeah,
0: it's good to, to learn how to deal with a really difficult stakeholder. I mean, that's a huge lesson, especially in the field <laughs> NASA's like that. not difficult. I mean, a wonderful NASA's awesome, uh, cautious it's stakeholder.
4: A different time scale than wow. a startup. And it's yes, amazing, yes, exactly. it's, it's, it's inspiring. Inspiring to figure that out yeah. <laughs> for all
1: humankind on a different time scale. See,
3: now everybody's worried that NASA might actually be listening to this now. So <laughs> they That's do a have better motto than
1: put a dent in the universe. Though. Well, if uh, yeah. listening,
2: NASA's definitely listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: for all okay, Brie. Why don't you bring us home with the biggest lesson you've learned? And you were one of our first episodes, mm-hmm. so you've had plenty of time to learn a lot. So it's better be a good
4: one. <laughs> We have learned a lot. At the beginning of the pandemic, we realized we had this AI that we were constructing to help with human growth and development. And I'm very familiar with post-traumatic growth from a few things that have happened in my life. And the tendon befriend response, which is a cornerstone of our work as well, is connected to post-traumatic growth. So I felt at first like, oh, should we be ramping up production on our product? Like We have a huge audience we need to serve here we understand something other people don't understand but then i realized like my team they're mostly junior they've never faced any huge thing like this before and the best way for us to get through the pandemic is to take what we have of our ai and start applying it to our team processes so we stopped focusing on the product and we focused on what is a way that we can really prove our ai to ourselves through our own growth and development and that we need to be on that. It was kind of a parallel realization that we need to be on that path to be able to make this technology. I can't remember what, I think that's Conway's law, that the technology you create ends up being a mirror of your organizational structure. And so each of us on the team needs to be exploring our growth in order to create this technology. And also we have this technology that can help people grow even under traumatic conditions. And so we did that and we experimented and we iterated and it wasn't easy. And we've come to a place that is really beautiful. And in order, you know, I talked about how we're working in this capitalist framework to try to create something different. And so we have to move like from where we are to where we want to be by letting go of different things at different times and being strategic about how we make that transition And to distribute power across our team, we also have to distribute responsibility. And so by taking our AI and kind of putting it in our team's hands, not for just our audience, but also for themselves, and then iterating on all of these things together through the wisdom of our team, we've arrived at We realized that by accident, we arrived at the design for a new form of social media, that the way that our team is working is the design that I was putting off until later because I wanted to make sure that I really understand our model so that we don't create unintended network effects, that we don't start to go social until we understand our model. And so I realized that we'd got the basics of it from our iterative work with ourselves. And so now we can start to test that with external audiences and build it into this product that we think will be a new way of kind of what grows out of the adult version that grows out of what we know of social media right now but that was completely emergent it wasn't something we planned it was something that just occurred naturally and organically and i find that extremely beautiful that's awesome
0: Well, thank you very much, all of you, for joining us. Very nice talking to you. It was great catching up, honestly, and we'll do it again. We'll just have to have the cohort come back like every year. man. These are our favorites.
1: Oh,
3: yeah. Awesome. I love that.
1: Pizza ice cream smoothie was actually really good. (laughs)
2: So.
0: Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor, Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor, Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618 thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.
1: How many entrepreneurs does it take to do a podcast?
4: <laughs> my dog can identify the, <laughs> my dog can identify the end of a meeting by when everyone starts to say thank you, and then he knows that that's then he's allowed to interrupt.
1: Jetty can identify the beginning of a meeting, and that's how he knows that it's time to play. yeah.
0: Hello and welcome to Found. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington, and with me is my co-host. The co-host, the the other host to my host. I'm not even making a joke because this is a very special episode.
1: This is a super special episode. My name is Jordan Crook. I'm the host to your host. Hostess is a brand that is not related to Found.
0: Hey, I'm Daryl Etherington. Welcome to Found. I'm here with the other host to my host, Jordan Crook. Ho ho. That's is right. also
1: a hostess friend.
0: That is what we refer to ourselves as the ho hos.
1: Ho hos <laughs> <laughs> Are you waiting for Maggie no. to come save you? She's not going
0: I'm to. I'm waiting for that, but She's it's not. not save I don't you. know if it's going to happen. We're having okay, fun,
1: it Maggie.